Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's so encouraging to, uh, to be here with everyone. I bring greetings from the DFW Church there in Dallas. Uh, a lot to talk about. I love to get in the scriptures, so I don't want to talk too much about Dallas. Uh, but long story short, Patty and I, my wife, have been there for about going on 22 years. Um, we have grown uh, the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, probably uh, over 500 disciples. We're up to 1,200 and some change, uh, which is very encouraging. We have five services throughout the whole Dallas area, probably going to six here soon. Uh, God has blessed us in a great way. Uh, but from afar, I always look to Atlanta, uh, to North River, and uh, always, uh, you know, in, enjoying building relationships, uh, engaging and learning uh, from you guys and what you're doing. And so for me and my wife, this is a treat for us to be able to come here to spend time. Uh, you have an incredible staff. I love listening to Tom and Jeff. What excellent preachers. So, so the preaching is going to go down a couple levels uh, this morning. I apologize for that. But, um, you know, these are great men, and uh, I love them and their families, and I love the church here uh, in North River. So thank you for having my wife and I in, and I pray that you'll get some little nugget out of a new look uh, into uh, uh, the Good Samaritan. And, you know, the study here in the Good Samaritan is, and I think it's kind of fascinating in the sense of, you know, you hear a story over and over again, and, and you're like, oh, I know it all. And, uh, you know, there's three different sections in the Synoptic Gospels, that's common source. You know, you have uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, you have the shortest, the fullest response. You have the tying in eternal life and the Good Samaritan. There's different flows between the three. And, and it gets to the point where the lawyer notices that Jesus gives a good answer, and he asks him a question. And then it ends with, no one dare ask him any more questions. And, and I'm just, you know, I've always kind of just dawned on me, okay, you give a story about the Good Samaritan, and at the end of a, a nice story about a guy who helps somebody out, no one dare ask him any more questions. And I, I've just always been kind of intrigued with that. And you know, you look at a couple of these scriptures here, you know, like in Luke chapter 10, it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what is written in law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then you look at Matthew then chapter 22. It says, in one of them, a lawyer asked him a question to test him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And then it ends with Jesus saying, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you have this teacher, a lawyer. He's a sharp cookie. This is his job. The law of the prophets, he understands it, he writes it, he, he's a scribe, he copies it, he, he instructs upon it. He, he wants to know, okay, Jesus, I, I, you're noticing, you're saying some good things here, I want to know. He's getting deep. Eternal life, what's the greatest commandment? It's kind of like at the end of the day, it's like, man, just tell me what I got to know. That's incorrect English, I'm sorry. Tell me what I need to know. 
Do you ever think about, I, I talked about this yesterday a little bit, about, about things that are common in our character throughout the, throughout the world, and, and it should alarm us, and it should actually make us realize that, yeah, we've been created in the sense of things like justice. You know, you go all over the globe, people have a strong sense of justice. I want to see what, I want to see this done right, or, or justice needs to occur in this situation. Love. Love is a common source, but also eternity. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in a man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know, this is one of the reasons I became a disciple of Jesus in Chicago back in the early 80s, like 81 or 82. And eternity. I was a, I'm a chiropractor by education. I went to chiropractor school. Then later in life, when I swore I'd never go to school again, I went and got a master's in Bible. But, but when I was younger, I went to chiropractor school. And, and for nine months, I'm cutting on cadavers, human bodies, unclaimed people that died in Cook County. No one loved them. No one cared for them. No one cared and claimed their bodies after they died. So the school would go into Cook County, um, buy the, the cadavers, and bring them and put them in a small room with two levels, and, and basically for nine months we would dissect these bodies. And I'm sitting there dissecting this person, and I'm thinking, what about her? What was her life like? Why, why did she end up like this? Well, well, why can't I end up like this? What happens if I die in Chicago and no one knows about it and no one claims me and, and I'm put in this big vat of formaldehyde and, and maybe three or four months later someone comes and buys me and puts me on a table and some kids who mostly are disrespectful start tearing me apart. Is this it? Is this life? Maybe 70, 80 years on this world and then this is it? So I started thinking about eternity. You know, in the Old Testament, there were 613 commandments given. I'm like, oh my gosh. Just what's the bottom line? What's the most important? It's a question been debated for a long time. And so Jesus talks to this guy, and at the end of the day, he says, you know what? You shall love. That's the bottom line. The, the, you shall love is kind of like that hinge that everything else goes on and off with. It's just, you got to love. You got to learn how to love. It's a crowning virtue. The deliberate desire for the other's good. Demonstrating itself in sacrificial attitude. Literally, it's the why I do what I do. I've got to love. So I have a question for you. Why did Jesus... Give two answers. The lawyer just said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus not only gives them one answer, but then he gives them the second. He said, you shall love the Lord your God, and the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Well, because, see, we demonstrate our love for God how we treat and deal with other people. You can claim you love God, Lord, I love you. <laughs> but you don't treat other people very well. 
You don't love other people. Whether or not you're single, you're married, you have kids, you're going to be judged if you love God by how you treat the people around you. And so Jesus demonstrates that our love for him must be translated to love other people. You know, in my opinion, actually here, after, I don't know, 35, 37 years of being a disciple, is that this is the greatest challenge to discipleship, is learning how to love maybe people that are unlovable, that aren't like me, that are different. Learning to love other cultures, learning to love other people, really learning how to love the other. You know, back in Luke chapter 10, it says, the lawyer says, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You know, we're a funny people wanting to justify ourselves. You know, we talked about that yesterday and the, the whole chaos and, and our marriages and, and how we're living in chaos. And, and we want to justify ourselves, make excuses, blame shift, because we looked at Genesis. And so Jesus gives a story of the Good Samaritan to deal with this guy wanting to justify himself. He wants to, okay, let's really get to the bottom here. So he gives this story in Luke chapter 10, and you know it, you've all read it, and so we're going to peruse through it. He says, a man was going to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. He stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, then a Levite, they walked on the other side. He said, but the good Samaritan, in verse 33, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him, bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine set him on his own donkey, brought him to the end, took care of him. And at the end of the day, he tells the innkeeper, said, if you need anything else, let me know when I come back to you. And Jesus says, which, is the, which one was his neighbors? The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. You know, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, their responsibility was to be compassionate, to be a light to the world, to be an example. You look at when God talked to Abraham, he says, hey, all nations are going to be blessed through you. But see, they weren't very compassionate. They disregarded God. They disregarded other people. They weren't a light to the world. And that's the story. And remember, it ended, and no one dare ask him any more questions. I don't understand. Why? They're just not powerful enough in my mind to shut everybody up, especially people who are attacking Jesus. You know, it's fascinating to me is that how God uses our past to teach us, train us, mold us, whether or not it's our marriages or our kids or our roommates or college or single, it doesn't matter. He uses our past. Amen. I remember so many times, you know, I, I would say I'm somewhat witty and quick. And that witty and quick would get me into a lot of trouble. I would say things that I regret. I remember a time I, I used to go to chiropractic school. I'd come home, and my mom was washing my clothes, and we were talking, and, and, and we were just going at, kind of talking, and, and she was serving me, and I said something to her, just like that little viper, and all of a sudden she started crying, 
and threw my clothes at me, and she goes, wash your own clothes. This isn't good, okay? You know, like, just cut deep. And I remember I did the same thing to Patty and my sons, that quick witty, and I just remember, got to watch your mouth. Watch your words. You can harm people by what you say. And, and I was so convicted. And so Jesus engages the lawyer. He goes, okay, I know you know. I know you understand. I know you get our history. Let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about your people. And I basically think this lawyer is sincere. And it says, let me tell you a story. And he tells a Samaritan story about a man. And he's going to Jericho. And if, if you're an, an Israelite, every town, every city, every area has like significance of history, historical history. Like, you know, you think of Atlanta. The history of Atlanta, you know immediately. I mean, I, I like Civil War stuff. I think of Atlanta, I, I think of Sherman. Torching it. it. It's the history. It's a part of it. It's, 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 it's history. You know it. You think of Dallas. You think of like JFK. You know, you go to this city or that city, and, there, and there's history, and it makes you the connotations of that history. And so I'm going to tell you a story. This man went down to Jericho. <gasps> Jericho. And it's about this man who was beaten by robbers, leaving half dead. And, and this Samaritan, who's from Israel, the northern tribes, half, half uh, kind of like a, a half-breed, that came and had compassion on him, put oil and wine, set him on a donkey, took him back to his people. And you read the story, and it's like, you think about this, does this sound familiar to us? No, not really. Not to us. But to the lawyer. You know, there's a king of Judah. His name was Asa. He was the father of Hezekiah. And he walked in the ways of Israel, which if you know the Bible, it's like, oh, that's bad. Walking in the ways of Israel was a really bad thing. And if you're a king of Judah and you're walking in the ways of Israel, that's really bad. In fact, he was so wicked, he burned his sons in the fire to worship Molech, the god of Molech. And he's at war. And he's losing bad. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, in verse 5, it says, Therefore the Lord his God gave him into the hand of the king of Samaria, who defeated him and took a great number of captives of his people and brought him to Damascus. He was also given the hand of the king of Israel, who struck him with great force. For Pekah, the son of Ramallah, killed 120,000 from Judah in one day, all of them men of valor. And they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Okay, Vietnam War, what, 10, 12 years? 60,000 people killed, which was terrible. Can you imagine losing 120,000 Americans killed in one battle in one day? That's devastating. And then in verse 8, the men of Israel, remember the northern tribes, eventually they became the Samaritans, took captive 200,000 of their relatives, basically kind of like the baggage train 
women, sons, daughters. They also took much spoil with them and brought them to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there, and his name was Obed, and he went out to meet the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord your God of your father was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand, but you have killed them in a rage that has reached up to heaven. And now you intend to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem, male and female, as your slaves? Have you not sins of your own against the Lord your God? Now hear me and send back the captives of your relatives you have taken, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. And then it says certain chiefs from the men of Ephraim jumped up. And then in verse 14, so the armed men left the captives and the spoils before the princes and all the assembly and the men who had been mentioned by name rose and took the captives. With the spoils, they clothed all who had been naked among them. They clothed them, gave them sandals, provided them food and drink, anointed them with oil, and carried all the feeble among them on donkeys and brought them to their kinfolk at Jericho. Jesus is reminding this lawyer, I'm reminding you about your history, your past. Your people fell in the hand of an army of robbers. They killed, they beat, they left thousands half dead. And these godly Samaritans, the northern Israelites, came, had compassion on the captives. They clothed them, they prepared food for them, they anointed them, they carried their, their weak on donkeys, and they took them back to Jericho. You know, if this is not an expensive piece of equipment, I would just drop it and walk away. <laughs> Ow, the hammer just dropped. You know, what does God have to do to get your attention? One to justify himself. Well, you know, it's like, I couldn't make it. <laughs> you know, I couldn't do that. Or, you know, I, it's just, I'm busy. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> I got all these things going on in my life. You don't understand, Jesus. Living in the first world is really hard. <laughs> I want to justify myself. Yep, right. Ah. Really? Really? I shouldn't say that. I, one of the guys don't like me saying that, really. But he's not here, you are, you know? So, <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Hammer just fell. Nation of Israel, God's chosen people, warring, hating, disregarding God and each other, not a light to the world. Early in his pride, the lawyer wanted to justify himself, to provide an explanation of one's action, to prove and show oneself to be just or right. And now, now, what about us? Do we see how God, Jesus, is training, molding us, trying to get our attention, using our past? Are we loving? 
Are we sacrificial? You know, you think about the lawyer, what's his response? And I guarantee it, he's humbled. He's responding then to Jesus. He's convicted, he gets it. He agrees with Jesus. And look what he says. Here in Mark chapter 12, verse 32, he says, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. I mean, it's like, you know, again, I don't want to put a, a false voice on this, but imagine Jesus just laying the hammer down. He goes, you're right. You're right. What you truly said is he is one and there's no other beside him. And to love with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dare ask him any more questions. There's no one else, God. There's no one else, Jesus. To love, to love God, to love your neighbor is more important than anything else on this earth. The hammer was dropped. You know, yesterday in our marriage class, talking about marriage, we talked about Genesis and chaos and, and how the world's throwing chaos at us. And, and the older you get, the more chaos you will see in your life. Trust me. But you know what? Sometimes we have self-inflicted chaos. <laughs> you know, I'm going to shoot myself. I'm going to get involved in all these things. I'm going I'm to do all these things. I'm going to take myself away from God, away from the body, and I'm just going to keep inflicting these wounds, this chaos. Flood's coming. And we're going to talk about it more this afternoon as we talk about kids. And it doesn't matter if you have an infant or you have a 30-year-old or 40-year-old child. It's all the same. And we're going to talk about that today. So the hammer was dropped. And the guy walked away convicted. And no one dare ask him any more questions. So let me ask you here now. Why keep God's commands? Now, in 1 John, we know that if we're going to love the Lord, well, actually, ah, ah, okay, forget the scriptures. Okay, I'm going to tell you really quick. Um, I probably didn't send them. 1 John chapter 5, it says, this is love for God to obey his commands. So let me ask you, you remember there's 613 commands in the Old Testament, but why now today do we have to obey God's commands? Okay, so if God is capricious, if God is evil, then that means all God's commands are for him because he's capricious. But if God is good, and we know that in 1 John also, this is God is good. So if God is good, that means all of God's commands are for us. For instance, let's say there's a hot stove up here and it was really hot, and you told your child, do not touch this stove. And if you're capricious, that means you don't want to touch that stove because it's my stove, and if you touch my stove, I'm going to kick your behind, if you're capricious. But if you're loving, well, don't touch the stove because you're going to get burned. So what's most kids going to do? <laughs> it's going to touch the stove, you know? They got to learn the lesson the hard way. So God is good, and God says, if you're going to love me, you got to obey my commands. Okay, I get that. Do you know the top four commands in the Bible? 
If you're going to tell me the top four commands of the whole Bible, what would you say? The most repeated commands in the Bible. You know, it's not prohibitions or warnings. It's not about sex, money, or power. The top four. Number one, praise the Lord. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do. Let me try it again. It's not working. You're going to have to trust me. Okay, he's motioning me. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If God is loving, he wants us to praise him. But again, it's for our good, not his good. So why is praising God so important for us? So when God commands us to praise him, what does he want? He's commanding us to look at him. What he has revealed about himself. What he wants us to understand, what aspect of his glory that he wants to, for us to understand. He wants us to see him and realize who he is and praise him for who he is. And it's for our benefit and not his. Says, okay, there you go. It says, do not fear. Oh, actually, praising the, praising the Lord over 500 times says, praise the Lord. Do not fear. Over 100 times. When God commands us to not fear, what does he want? He wants us to meditate on him. So we will, we will, we will experience the paralyzing of fear melt away and our courage rising. Rejoice. Over almost 200 times, rejoice. He wants us to remember that no matter what happens, nothing will separate us from his love. And number four, over 100 times, give thanks. God wants us to look past things that frustrate, anger, disappoint, discourage, sadden us. And he wants us to understand that he is everything for us, to give thanks. And these are all things for us, not for him. God's not sitting up there like, ugh, I need to be praised today. Who's going to encourage me today? Oh, there's one person in Dallas. Oh, I'm feeling so much better. I'm going to love them so much more now. Not for us. It's not for him. It's for us. You know, we think about obeying God. Whoa, yo. You know, like Wizard of Oz. You know, like, whoa, we are just going to beat ourselves. Oh, it's so hard. It's Christianity stuff, the discipleship stuff. It's for us. Love the Lord. He wants us to make it. You know, then you... Think about loving your neighbor, and you know, that's, that's a whole nother sermon. But let me just leave you with these thoughts. As long as you long for food when you're hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he is hungry. As long as you long for nice clothes for yourself, Long for nice clothes for your neighbor. 
as you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from chaos, so seek and comfort security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, so be a friend to your neighbor. As you want your life to count and be significant, so desire the same significance for your neighbor. As you work to make good grades for yourself, so help your neighbor make good grades. As you would like to be welcomed in a strange company, so welcome your neighbor into a strange company. As you would, as you would that men do to you, so do to them. Loving your neighbor. You know, back in Luke, Jesus said, he said to him, what is written in law, how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love. You shall love the Lord, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. You know, my hope and my prayer as disciples of Jesus not of North River, not of the DFW church, but as disciples of Jesus. We're going to realize the call that we have, that all along our lives, ever since we were little, all to the point of today, God, over the course of our lifetime, has been molding us and teaching us and training us to become more and more like his son. Do we see that? Are we convicted? And then does that conviction then come out in love? Love for God. Oh, I want to build the church. Oh, I want to build my Bible talk and my community. I want to I take this word to a lost world. Oh, I want to love my neighbor. Amen. So what I've been doing in my prayer times lately, I go out and I praise God. And I talk about the fears that might be before me. And I talk about how great, grateful I am, how appreciative of what God has done in my life. And I rejoice. Because I know at the end of the day, these are things that God wants for me, and not for him, that he wants me to appreciate. And then I can then go love my neighbor and give to my neighbor more than I ever thought I'd be able to hospitality, inviting them over, meeting their needs. You know, it's so funny, when our next door neighbor, I was at my desk one day and I was studying and, and I saw the smoke coming out. I was like, man, why is smoke coming out of that house? You know, and it's like, it's like, that's odd. And then I saw my neighbor who's like 65 years old, German, um, and, and she goes running out and she's in her nightgown. I go, well, that, that's not attractive. And, um, and, I, and she, she's running out there and, and her house is on fire. Go out there, it's a big hoodoo. And you know, it never entered my mind once. Their house burned down. It never entered my mind once that they would not stay with us until they got back on their feet. They moved in with us for like a week or so. 
Never entered my, never, never entered my mind they wouldn't do that. Of course they'll do that. They'll come live with us. My prayer, my hope, is that the Dallas Church, the North River Church, together, will be examples to a lost world, and that together we'll learn how to love, we'll learn how to love God with all of our heart, and we'll learn how to love our neighbor as we understand and are grateful the way God is molding us and teaching us. As we take communion, let's remember the, the sacrifice that Jesus gave, his life, and the shedding of his blood that we partake in the fruit of the vine. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful, Lord, for your love. And God, we pray that we'll see your son, we'll understand your son. Father, we'll understand how he is engaging us. Not to humble us, Father, but to understand how much he loves us. And God, I pray that all of us will respond to that type of love, that we'll love others, we'll love you, we'll give our hearts in all the ways that you're trying to teach us to do so. We love you. Thank you for your son and his sacrifice. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.